What's up? What's up? Yes. Welcome back. Welcome to another episode of All Over VoiceOver with Kiff VH. I am your host, Kiff VH, and welcome back. I have had to get a, a root canal this summer, and that slowed me down from producing anything more. But I am Ouch. Uh, back. Yeah, super fun. <laughs> That's how you like to spend your, your podcast budget. Uh, in the studio with me today is uh, the lovely, the talented Bennett Smith. Bennett, thank you so much for coming in, man. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, I, it's... I love it how you called me lovely. <laughs> I ne- never, no one's ever called me lovely before, but Seriously? I appreciate that. I feel in this town. Yeah. Really? No, no. no well, one's, no, well, you, you know, you're, you're you're lovely not only in appearance but also in person. It's, wow, uh... you're just laying it on thick here, Kiff. <laughs> That music must have got you in the mood. It always does. It always does. It's I, 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 it's it's great. Uh, what's uh, we've we've worked together uh, on several sessions on a game that I don't think we can talk about. I, I think can we can. We, can yeah, we talk it's coming out in uh, November. Yes. Uh, Dishonored two. Dishonored two. Yeah. It, man, it's such a freaking exciting process to to be a part of to be a part of a video game. Yeah. I mean, it's uh how, how, what's what's been your process? How'd you get how started? How did I get into this get, whole yeah. crazy thing? Yeah. Um yeah, kind of interesting. I I come from a writing background. So, mm. uh so just when I moved out here, I was really trying to bang on the writing thing and I worked yeah. in a little reality TV, which is uh, completely unfulfilling a lot of the times. <laughs> uh but it's a job and yeah. so uh through that actually I got hooked up um Become a friend of a friend with Tim over at Blindlight, uh-huh. and uh, I started doing some writing for them. And then, you know, the writing thing kind of didn't, it wasn't as lucrative, it didn't really keep going, And uh, but they do a lot of voice direction and voice production stuff, uh-huh. and so I kind of just got looped into, into it that way. How when, when you say get get looped into it, like, I mean, where they were like, um, we have some actors over there. We need someone to tell them what to do. Is the, is Do you go in and sort of figure it out, or do you... Do you yeah, no, I mean, I, I kind of started... Yeah, I started as a, as a coordinator, you know, okay. basically just the f- person who, you know, takes all the notes, makes make sure that, like, any sort of, uh, you know, line changes and that kind of stuff and uh, circle takes are all just sort of recorded. And so I sat there and I worked for uh, this director, Wes Gleason, who I'm sure you've worked sure, with. Sure, Wes, yeah. Uh, this is fantastic. Yeah. I learned from him, learned from the best. Yeah. And so we did. We actually did Skyrim together. That's That was, like, my trial by fire. Oh, wow. So that was, like, it was almost two months straight, five days a week, recording they did the entire game in one fell swoop which we've they've never oh done again God. yeah it was pretty crazy i mean how many lines are you talking Seventy thousand, <laughs> something <laughs> something insane like that i mean it may have been more i don't i don't even really know it, we went definitely went loopy after a while but yeah off of that like you know i just started like doing a couple little directing jobs here and there and kind of just eventually started getting handed you know full games and that wow. kind of stuff so yeah when you when you just so I mean, part of part of the reason I wanted to have this conversation is, you know, so often as an actor, you you walk into a room and there's folks sitting there, and aside from a handshake and a name exchange, it's go. Right. So, so in terms of process, background, experience, what you know, how you get to those places, it's just it's a it's a mystery to to most of us. Right. Unfortunately, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you've been in the studio before. It it is very much like a 
clock's ticking. Let's go. You yeah, know what right, I mean? Like, right. we have 400 lines to get through in four hours. We got to do it. Right. Um, and, you know, it, sometimes we, we are afforded, and, like, I always cherish these moments when you're afforded, like, a moment with the actor to be like, okay, this is, like, where you're from and, like, give you a little yeah. backstory, a little motivation. But a lot of times, yeah, it is very much, like, get in there and, and do it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and thankfully, you know, a lot of the actors, including yourself, who I've worked with, super easy they get it they know how to go in there and they know how to nail it um and so yeah i think i think there are sometimes we get more on-camera actors and they're used to that different more yeah not hand-holding but they just want a little more information and it's like we don't really have time for that so yeah. not all the time at least there, there's a super different pace in the on-camera world where you're you know in between takes even where it's just you know, I mean, you've been around it. You just, it's just that, just things stop, cut. And now we're going to have five to six minutes before we reset. Exactly. You know? Unless, yeah. unless we're losing light. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, like some actors, like I think yourself, you, you do some on camera stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, I mean, it's good, I think, having the wide breadth of sort of understanding on how the process works. Um, but in the other sense, like, you know, even though we are kind of rapid fire doing voice stuff, it is a little more pure hmm. because, you know, we can kind of just get in the character and then just flow with it yeah. as opposed to like, all right, our, you know, we have to stop and like some guy's got to move a light and like someone else is going to find this person, you know, like that can like throw off your game as well. You know what I mean? Hmm. So how did you uh, I want to back up even further. Where are you where are you from originally? I'm from uh, the Boston area. Uh-huh. A little town called Sudbury, Massachusetts. Sudbury, Massachusetts. Yeah. And w w I mean w w as a kid, like did you want to do this kind of stuff or you were were you writing actively a lot when you were getting started? Yeah, you know, no, I came more from directing. <laughs> when I was when I was little, I was more of a director. Um when I think I was 12, I directed a movie called Terminator 3, <laughs> which was essentially Terminator 2, uh, <laughs> but the final scene was filmed in an outdoor pool instead of a steel smelter. Um, awesome. So, yeah, I mean, like, you know, we, we got a hold of the parents, uh, you know, the VHS video camera, and, yeah. uh, and we, you know, kind of went, had fun from there. Um, yeah. So yeah, I started with films kind of early. Always loved them. I always loved video games as well. Yeah. Um, what was, what games did you value program on? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I was more of a computer guy, computer okay. gamer. Um, I remember Command and Conquer. Like I played that game a lot, and that was the, that game actually had live action bits. I don't know if you remember played the original. I never played Command and Conquer. The original had like it was live action, and uh, they they did like video sort of cutscenes, which was really revolutionary because this was like early on in the CD-ROM sort okay. of gaming thing. So that was kind of cool. Like, and I kind of got like, I kind of liked the crossover nature of that. Yeah. Um, Is it like like a Dragon's Lair sort of a thing where it's like a, a movie that you tried to keep going based on your action or is it more story-based? No, nah, it was more story-based. Okay. It was more like they had the game interface and they would cut out and it would be like, yeah, the cinematic interface. I see. Uh, Wing Commander did a couple of versions of that too, like okay. Wing Commander 4. But those are a little later. Like, even earlier than that, I mean, I, we can go way back. Uh, there was a game called Spaceship Warlock, which not a lot of people have played. I've you can look it up on YouTube, and it is hilarious. But it's a point-and-click. And, uh -huh. and uh, But they had, like, you know, really strong 8-bit synthesizer music. And, like, you know, they had this thing where you could type in, like, uh, responses. And then... I don't know how the engine worked, but based off the responses, you would get a response from the characters. Like oh, so, wow. it was it felt vaguely interactive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. There was like all kinds of things like that. So, anyways, um, 
did the film thing, went to school, and kind of decided, you know, um, hey, uh, maybe I can write as a means to get into doing yeah. directing. Because I, you know, Quentin Tarantino, obviously, like when I was young, like he kind of came up and I was like, oh, he did it. Like there's all these people who do this stuff. I should try that avenue. Yeah. So that's kind of how I ended up, you know, getting into it. So That's that's really great to hear. I mean, I remember, you know, a similar thing. I wanted to figure out how to get in front of a camera, in front of a microphone, and had no clue. And no one in my town was any help at all in that way. You know, it was just like, ah, you know, that's for them. It's not for you. And where are you from originally? I'm from Grand Rapids, Michigan originally. Oh, cool. And the only person to come from Grand Rapids prior, that's not true. There were a lot of people come from Grand Rapids. <laughs> but the only pure person who came to this industry and became known and in that community sort of infamous was uh, the screenwriter Paul Schrader. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, you know, infamous because of how he broke from the Christian tradition that we all grew up in and wrote Taxi Driver and Hardcore and stuff. Um, but... There wasn't a whole lot. There wasn't any path. So it was the same kind of thing of like someone's doing it. I don't know how. I'll figure out based on what I see. And for me, it was crewing. I was like, I'll I'll figure out how to wrap cable and hold a boom mic and right. set flags and 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 do the hard work of figuring that out and get on a set and and learned. Oh my God, so much from that. Yeah, I mean, I I did the same thing. Except it was what I learned was like. I don't really want to be here right now. You know what I mean? Uh. Like, I was not like the typical crew guy. Um, I mean, I do like being on set in terms of directing, but like, yeah, the the sort of the logistical is- issues are like uh, I was I was not I was not super keen on like production managing or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like, I just, <laughs> I do. and dude, I respect all those people who do that uh-huh. a thousand percent. Don't get me wrong, because like I'm just saying, my skill set was never really meant for that. It's funny. Uh, just made me think of something. My daughter and I watched Coraline last night, and to see, uh, we watched some of the supplementals on there, and there were women who who hand knit the costumes in scale for these nine inch you know puppets that they built and that that's their freak that's their thing that really that they love and i was like i don't i could never i I have a nice attention to detail on certain things but that level of that's where they fit in the industry and they've and you know what's cool about that studio it's called leica they're up in portland oregon they're coming out with a new movie uh i just saw it i went to a premiere it's called kubo and the two strings yeah it's super cool, and the cool, coolest thing about that movie, besides from the fa- like the visuals, which are fantastic, mm. is they actually for the premiere they built like a mini museum, and they brought in all the props of stuff that they had built, oh, so you could kind of like. And I had no idea. I was just like, ah, it looks like stop motion, but I had no idea the attention detail. They literally do everything on these sets and stuff like that. I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty wild. They also did this cool thing, which I thought was awesome. They made, I don't know if they programmed the camera, but basically to make 3D, they just, they would have the camera move left and right for every shot. So they built in this little program. So it would go, you know, just left and right, left and right, left and right. So that oh, way they wow. could, when they stitch, stitch together, you can get great 3D out of it. Yeah. So, so they have native 3D instead of, instead of having to either post it or have two cameras there. Exactly. So yeah, they're like, really? if, they're not even just doing like small, like that's cool artisan stuff, but they're also like doing interesting technological, you know, filmmaking techniques and stuff like that. So yeah. <laughs> so Super cool. I, I recommend checking out the movie. It's really beautiful. We're, we're anxiously waiting. My daughter is, is nuts for not only animation, um, and she's a huge gamer, too. Like, her thing right now is Undertale. Like, this this move towards all this, 
And I, I resist like the Minecraft and the Undertales and the stuff just because like been there done. I've done track and field with a pencil. I've played Joust. <laughs> I, I, now I want I want the immersion of you know of of a Dishonored. You know what right. I mean? I want I want that the level of graphical integrity and and the artistry. And for her, it's it's just story. Yeah. You know, I haven't. I'm not familiar with that one, but yeah, I mean, the gaming there is a obviously a wide scope, um, and it's like film. You know, like I think there's just a niche for everything. There's a mm-hmm. niche for like in film. There's a niche for that big blockbuster, and then sometimes you want to watch like a smaller like independent story. And I think it's yeah. the same thing with games. You know what I mean? And yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm of the same. Obviously, you know, coming from where we come from, where we right. try we trying to craft these stories and stuff like that. I love the story immersion stuff. And speaking of which, I gotta say, like Bioshock Infinite. Your Comstock uh, kills me, dude. That's oh, like thank you. That I, a lot of people say that other Bioshocks were better. For some reason, I, I didn't really play them, but I loved Infinite. Like the story for me was was awesome, and uh, Comstock was like such a good character. So thank you so kudos. much. Oh man, it was t- with the re-release of that game. Now, I mean, I'm so excited to play it on the Xbox One just to see to see what. The completion of that that visual world that Ken and and everybody there at Irrational created, and I mean that that the moment uh, I don't want to spoil anything for people <laughs> who haven't played it, but that, that's the first game that brought me to tears playing it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, the, the final thirty minutes of that game are just unreal, and and it's such an Oh, it's it was it was an honor to be a part of that. Thing. And what was it was that process like different than other games? Like I you know mm. I I know like I, correct me if I'm wrong, but Ken Levine is like obviously has a strong creative arm and everything. Yeah. And so you know like how what was that like? Because I'm I'm actually kind of curious. Like, it was how, how did you guys get that I, sort of? It was really interesting. I I know that I know that uh, Elizabeth's motion capture they had recorded all the audio first with Courtney. And then an actress named Heather Gordon did all the performance capture for Emily uh, for for Elizabeth in the volume to Courtney's VO. Oh, okay. Uh, that which I thought was fascinating. And right. one of the things that was was really neat is that there was a lot of attention brought to to how Elizabeth moved, uh, which was really kind of cool from a performance capture standpoint of like, oh man, that that's awesome that that's being recognized. That people love that about that character. Um, for me, I when I went to, I did not know this, but I think, and I haven't talked to Troy or Ken specifically about this, but I think for Comstock, Troy had recorded all of Comstock's stuff. Oh, really? And I think it was it. My uh, my assumption is that it would pooch the reveal. Right of of that, so so I came in later in the game. I see. Um, so they had uh, one of the scenes, well, one of the primary animatic scenes that Comstock had. Um, we probably did maybe six sessions for me to to successfully ADR it. Wow. Really? So like, yeah, the animation had been completed. They hadn't done a lighting pass on it yet, so it's still roughish. But for the most part, they weren't changing it. So I had to match lip flap on the character. And uh, Ken Skyped in, so I had f- two, uh, 416, a baseball cap with two lobs on it, wires down my back, the script 
the monitor and in the small postage stamp can and then and then a, another camera on me to capture they weren't going to use my lip flap but but he wanted to see me in the conversation sure doing the skype session from boston and we did maybe six of those trying to get that one scene wow that's crazy and it was really tough trying to find like who is this character right you know because it was like well he could be an obsessed preacher and we kept coming back around to things and but my final session in maybe november I just got the feeling like I had let Ken down. Like, I just felt like I didn't get what he wanted out of the character. I don't know what it was, but it was kind of like, we did one session. <laughs> I had a voice match job. Sorry. I had a voice match job that afternoon where I was voice matching another character. And that morning, we had done a session where we were kind of fishing for the character a little bit. So he's like, what if he's got, like, what if his, because of what, Comstock is saying is so cancerous. What if his throat is cancerous? Right. So I'm doing like this Tom Waits in <laughs> Dracula screaming, like, and, and I had nothing in the tank, and then go to this voice match session for something I had booked. It was just challenging. <laughs> but um, one direction Ken gave me was what if he's like Harrison Ford in the Mosquito Coast? I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I thought about it, and I didn't hear anything from like six weeks after that session. I was like, "Ah, oh, crap! They probably recast me." It's right. And then uh, Pat Brady calls me, and she's like, "So you're on a plane to Boston tomorrow? Ken wants you in, at Irrational." It's like I'm going to what? <laughs> so so I flew to Boston on a red eye and uh, went into the whisper room at Irrational, and we did all the audio logs. We did pretty much the entire performance. He was happy with what we did um, with with that particular animatic and the, or the, the cinematic. Sure. And then the rest of it, we were like, I walked into the room and he said, uh, do you have anything that you want to say before we dive in? I said, there's one thing that you said in our two sessions ago where you mentioned Harrison Ford and Mosquito Coast. And it gives me an idea for this character. I want to try something. And he was, and he clapped his hands. And he was like, he's, I can't tell you how happy that makes me that when we get to collaborate on this character, that it's not me telling you how this character is, but it's us finding him together. I want your input. Right. And then I did an audio log. And he was like, that's it. That's it. And we did, we did the whole thing very quickly. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's the, the – so it's funny. It's like I come from the writing world. I, mm. I really enjoy it. But directing, working with actors, yeah. finding that collaborative moment is a, such a sweet thing, especially when it hits like a pure note, like when you're like, that's exact – like I didn't yeah. really expect that, and maybe you didn't either, but somehow we met in the middle, and it's like – it's perfect. I love that. That's a, that's a great feeling for me. So yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I I can't be one or the other. Sometimes I have to introduce myself as a writer. Sometimes I'm introducing myself as a director. It just really depends. But huh? Yeah. That's interesting. What what? Why is that? Do you feel? Because everyone. I I mean, it's. I don't know. I I think like. I think it's one of those things where. You meet somebody, and if you say you're an actor, it's kind of like, okay, boom, easy to sort of like compartmentalize. But sometimes if you're meeting somebody else, uh, you know, maybe maybe as I'm a writer, like maybe this, you know, there could be down the line, and I'm not this like Machiavellian or, at all, like in terms of job opportunities, but maybe down the line, like they would prefer to have a writer uh, for something else. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Versus if I say I'm a director and I do a lot of directing video games, that's kind of a narrow focus. Like no one's going to be like, I have a film that I want you to direct because you've directed this video game. Huh. I mean, I don't know. May I could be wrong, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I've never, I am the worst at sort of navigating the job hunt search thing. Things just tend to fall in my lap. Like, you know, occasionally it comes all at once and occasionally it's more sporadic. Uh -huh. 
but I can't like force it. So I just kind of I win winging it for you know thirty years. So man, I, I agree <laughs> with you though. I feel like the more you force it, you you find out you you get like the stuff that I've really fought for or clawed for or whatever. When you get it, you're like, oh, this is what this is. Right. <laughs> Versus the things that you're like you don't have that expectation for. It's presented to you or emerges or a friend is like, oh, dude, you should you'd be perfect in this thing. And your friend was right. Right. You are perfect for this thing. Right. You know. Exactly. It's such a it's such a great sort of joyful feeling that you're like, oh, this is what people have been talking about. Yeah. You know, it's not my dad got me this job in the cafeteria. Of course. Sucks, yeah. You know? It's yeah, I mean it is it is sort of happenstance and you know, if I could give any like recommendations to somebody cuz sometimes occasionally people are like, how do I do this? How do I break into this thing? And I'm like, you just give yourself the right you position yourself for the right opportunity for it to come along. It really is like it's kind of a little bit of luck and opportunity and just mm. you just kind of like don't lose sight of like what, you know, excites you and you just do it, you know what I mean? Like yeah. and and eventually if you're passionate and you work hard, it really will sort of like something will happen, you know. It's funny how that's just the truth of it. It sounds so stupid. And if I told myself this like 10 years ago, because I've been doing this for about 10 years now, yeah. uh, I'd be like, fuck you. <laughs> go, go fuck yourself. Uh, but unfortunately, like 10 years later, I'm like, yeah, it's kind of what it is, it's you know. It. Moved out across the country to LA and I've been here and I just kind of like, you know, it just kind of happens, you know? Yeah. So you just open to the opportunity and see what happens. And right. I remember someone had said, you know, how do I break into voiceover? And it was, I remember my, my answer has changed over the years. And the older I get, the more I'm like, I don't know, go break into it. Right. I don't know. Open the yellow pages. That's kind of what all of us did. Yeah. You know, at one point or another. What's your story? How did uh, you do it? Um, The yellow pages. <laughs> I, I mean, truthfully, it was, I, I I was messing around in my grandpa's in my grandpa's office with his recording equipment and found that I had a, I'd always known I had a good ear. I'd do impressions and voice matching and that kind of stuff. So that sure. was kind of my way in. Yeah. With like, you know, oh, I can I can do Yogi Bear. Hey. <laughs> you know, so like uh so let's see if there's a way to make money doing that. Right. Um, and it wasn't about the money. It was just about being able to do it and feeling like a freak and not being able to do it. But, but that's all that's all internal. Ultimately I was in Toledo, and um, the producer, uh, I'm sorry, the writer on camera talent for the industrials that I was producing, um, I asked him one day over a couple Salem lights outside the, in the parking lot, hey, honey, how do you do this this thing? He's like, well, you know, I don't know. You got a good voice. Why don't you just, you know, you're producing this. Cast yourself. So right. I cast myself in a, uh, in a training video. And what was the video for? It was for how to use the Interactive Learning Center for Owens, Illinois. And I created a character named Stu Holiday. And <laughs> Stu Holiday. Stu Holiday. Hi, I'm Stu Holiday. <laughs> you know, the computer is nothing more than an Allen wrench with a display. Oh, my God. And uh, <laughs> I wrote it and produced. I mean, prior to that, I had just been logging shot sheets. Like, we'd go shoot at, a, shoot at an industrial facility. And then I would just write shot sheets for industrials of medium shot bottles going down conveyor belt. Next shot. Extreme close-up of polypro bottles, because now we're talking about polypropylene. Right, right, right. Just mind-numbing. And then I was like, well, we need a video for... Someone said we need this video, and I wrote and produced it, and and, um, that was it. Then I had a reel. 
Oh yeah. And then uh, and then and then it was and then the 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 great days were the days we would go to the recording studio. Right. And and I would direct Bob, and then in the breaks I would go on the microphone and we would write dumb haikus and try to crack each other up and stuff like that. Sure. Yeah. And then uh, there was uh, one of the guys who came into the studio worked at a company called Business Voice, still there in Toledo, on hold messaging, and um, so I started getting paid twenty five bucks a script to. Thank you for calling the Binkelman Corporation. That's awesome. Yeah. And then just, you know, I mean, just one brick at a time. You became the voice of uh, small Midwest uh, you know, cities or whatnot. That's right. At least, at least <laughs> the, uh, instead of having to talk to a receptionist to do call routing. Right. <laughs> awesome. It was a blast. That's cool, man. What, um, now, how long have you been in Los Angeles? You moved here? Uh, 11 years, actually. I was saying 10. Uh, so, yeah, 2005. Yeah, that's great. How how is this a necessary? I get this question a lot from folks. Is it sure. necessary? You know, ISDN and and Iptidal and etc. You know. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. At least uh, I don't know. Like from from my standpoint, I would say probably not because mm. I mean, even though I do interface with actors, it's like it also is about interfacing with the clients. Um, mm. And since sometimes the clients are you know calling in, but the. The talent center is here, so yeah. it's you know they wouldn't call into me somewhere else, and then I would call. We both call into LA. That wouldn't really work. Yeah. However, like in terms of acting, I I have met an actor who doesn't live in LA, and he flies in from I believe Memphis. Oh wow! So um, you know I don't know his story. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of an interesting character, anyways. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean. You know, it's and I asked him once. I was like, "Really? You live out in Memphis? Like, why?" And he's like, "Oh, my family's out there." And and I guess said something snide about L.A. people or whatever. And I was just like, "Yeah, whatever. I'm used to it by now. Right. Um, we're we're all the worst." Uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you can. I think you're just harder on yourself. Again, like going back yeah. to what I was saying earlier, it, it really is just that opportunity. So it's like. Well, if you have a 20% chance here or a 60% chance here or even a 25% chance here, maybe that extra 5% is what's going to make the difference. So so I do think, like, yeah, I mean, with video conferencing and ISDN, we haven't, like, eliminated the need or the desire to be face-to-face in these things. I mean, yeah, I mean, video game companies still fly their people out to L.A. to sit in on sessions because it is important. Like, it's different than, like, listening over a phone. You can't, like, you're missing things over a a connection, even if it is the highest quality. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I agree. I mean, just from from the experience of working with Ken in the room on Bioshock, like that was a, a real difference maker. Yeah, and you know, to be able to have that immediate feedback, the fullness of it, you just hear nuances that you don't hear over a digital connection. And it's also like, yeah, I mean, it's also like seeing the person. You know, mm-hmm. actually, so there's been we've done a, a, a couple of like patches into actors. Sometimes actors in New York and they don't want to fly out there, or they're out of the country, and we've done that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been like advocating, like, why don't we have a camera? If they have a camera, and like, so we can see each other. It really make, makes the process surprisingly simpler because they can see me sometimes I direct with my hands uh, yeah. and so <laughs> I do it unknowingly and so like I when I want when I they're seeing this they can play off it you know what I mean yeah. so I think that's like an important aspect of it as it's well. I, I was one of the things I love about recording with you is that giant window is that I do feel that sense of you know that we're we're connected, working on this thing, and that sense of collaboration versus when I'm in an ISDN session and I hear a producer and it's just silent, and I don't know what's going on, or or even if I'm in a recording studio that's you know that's more isolated and there's no window at all, but right. still in, in the area, 
Um, it, it, it matters. Yeah. It absolutely does matter. Yeah. But, well, um, one question I have for you, too, is like when what is the, the process like for you? Just again, because it's a mystery sure, yeah. to us. Uh, we do our auditions and they disappear. Right. And then go into the ether. Into the ether. <laughs> and then two months later, we hear, "Hey, you're working such and such at such and such a time." Sure. Yeah. Uh, what What's your process from when you receive an audition? What do you, how how do you process or do you, are you responsible for that decision? Are you part of a committee or is it it's like- it's usually like. I, I have it's actually they kind of divide it up. They do a casting sort of sort of component of this that the directors, I, I would say probably you know at least from where I'm where I'm coming from, we're not a part of that thing. Hmm. We basically get so, kind of like you. Surprisingly, it's like you kind of get hey you're showing up this day and like this is what the materials are. Go oh at wow! It. So um, there's not a lot of feedback from us in the beginning, which from a writing standpoint drives me crazy because I'm like, <laughs> Hey, right. I want to like, I want to have the material and I want to like, see if we can't like mold it. You know what I mean? I want, I want right. that. I want that sort of th- thing yeah. that usually isn't afforded to us. Huh. It is sometimes, but not, not all the time. Um, so, but I have been coming from the casting side, basically what my experience was, you do a bunch of casting, um, you kind of pick out the top 10. And then you kind of narrow it down to like three, and then you kind of let the client. And there's other factors involved, you know. Sure. Sometimes like, hey, we've worked with this actor before; it can be difficult, you know. Like, just so you know, that note gives them the client, like, blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, or some some actors have like specific things, like there's an actress who doesn't like to swear, which is you know that's her right. Mm-hmm. But it's like, hey, if this game has a bunch of f bombs in it, you right. probably can't use her. Right. Um, so yeah, there's like it's usually two or three, and then the client will sort of pick, or they may even give it to the to kick the option back to us and be like, just take the, your favorite. Wow. So, um, so yeah, I mean, coming from the casting side though, I can tell you this: there's, I mean, there's so many talented people out here, um, and if I was taking that number ten again, seven of the people are going to do it pretty much exactly as you expect it, and to varying yeah. degrees. Like, say if they, there's a character and they're just kind of like they read the side and they get the bio on it, and they're like, okay. And they do it. And it's like, it can be great. But there's something that's like always missing. And it always seems to sound like the other six of them, right? Mm. But the other three people, one of them will like do something different and crazy. And they, they kind of all will do something a little bit different that you didn't expect. And I think that's always what ends up drawing the people to the character, like the, the actor. Mm. But sometimes for the client, you know, from the client standpoint, some characters, they're like, the voice type is perfect. It's gravelly. It's low. He sounds like a thug that's all we want. You know what I mean? Like, right. So I guess it's like, yeah, kind of gauge what yeah. you're reading. Like, it, it, you know. If, How interesting does this stuff really need to <laughs> exactly, be? Exactly, exactly. Be like, yeah. yeah, I know, what's my backstory here? I've dropped out of college. Like, <laughs> my mom's in the hospital. Like, yeah, you don't need to do that. So I think it's like, you know, from an acting side, I would just gauge, like, what exactly am I reading here? Like, because know that, like, in games specifically, there are tons of archetypes. Usually, you're populating somebody to get killed. So, yeah. like, keep that in mind. And, <laughs> uh, like, but if there's something, like, look at the side. If there's something a little more interesting there, then make a crazy choice with it. Hmm. Because, to be honest with you, like, if you just do the safe thing, a bunch of other people do the same thing. So I always sort of say, I'm like, do, do the wrong choice, I uh-huh. mean, in, in a right way. And, uh, and that'll probably pique their interest. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because everyone... Because we've been doing the video game industry is hitting this maturation point where it's like okay, there's a bunch of different companies doing these big grand story games, great acting, etc. You know, they're looking internally for something different. Hmm. So it's just like you just got to try and give it to them. Hmm. So I think it's better taking that risk. But yeah, so 
That's great. Um, but at least, yeah, from my side, from the directing side, it's essentially, uh, you know, we get the scripts, and, uh, you know, usually, depending on how much time I get it in, sometimes I get it, like, a little bit beforehand. Sometimes it's, like, a couple days, and it's really wow. not that much to prepare. But, yeah, I'll read through them, just try and get a, a vague sense of it. We talk to the clients. They get they have some usually some artwork or something. And you just try and, like, I try and figure out what they want, and then I try and just, you know, sort of synthesize that a little bit. That's got to be a challenging process for you of bridging their their expectation and the knowledge of what this franchise, potential franchise is going to be, and then the decisions you've got to make on the other side. Because at the end of the day, you're the guy going, yeah or no, to those reads. Right. And they can be as iconic as, you know, any number of the things that you've done, and or, you know, or disposable, like a right. character who's going to get shot after, you know, hey, what was that? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> get choked out. And I'm like, ah, he wasn't as fearful as he should have been. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, no, it, it is. And we make them in pretty rapid fire time. Mm. And I think at the end of the day, it, it is a lot of instinct. And it's mm. just like, it's it's that preparation idea where you prepare yourself to the point where it's like, you can kind of react to what you're trying to go for. Mm. Um, and the thing that I always like, some, uh, of course, it varies from game to game. And I'm sure you experience this too, like the, colla- the amount of collaboration you're really able to offer. Mm. But like when you're able to really offer that collaboration and kind of like talk to the client and be like, you know, I know what you're going for, but it's like, it's got a little flat. It's a little like, mm. it's just not that interesting. What if we did this and they like it? Then that's always like fun for me because, but sometimes again, it's like, you're doing thug number seven. Uh, you're going to get killed. Let's not try and like make a big deal out of it. You know right. what I mean? Let's just have a little fun. You know what I mean? Like yeah. have them die a real nasty death, and then we'll all, we'll all be happy. You know. Right. So, <laughs> how do you? How does it compare for you between working in the volume and doing motion capture direction versus when you're doing just a straight VO session? Mm. Do you have a preference between the two? Or no, I think they're different. It's apples and oranges to me. I mean, mm. it's it's sort of similar, obviously, in the directing standpoint. But but yeah, like when you're we're doing like lo- you know live real capture, it is you know I like that process, but it is slower, and so it's like mm. you know as long as you're not pressed 100 percent for time, it can be extremely rewarding. Mm. Even when you are pressed for time, it can be extremely rewarding. I, I don't know. I, I consider them two different things. Um, mm. I think there's there's pros and cons to both of them. You know what I mean? But yeah. but I, and I don't prefer one over the other. I would say I just it depends on what the project is. Some some projects I think it's more like a project to project based. Some I would prefer more than other ones. But yeah yeah. So I've I've only been able to do one, and I had the greatest day of like work uh, in my uh, in my life up to that point. I'd done uh, Midnight Club Three Dub Edition for wow. for Rockstar, the racing game. Yeah, wow. And I was the Detroit boss. <laughs> so Navid Kandasari was our director. And when you come into the come into the garage, I'm like, oh hey, you're the new guy. Yeah, <laughs> think you're so tough. Well, this is Detroit, you know. And the, but the thing that blew me away was uh, was was the reference points on the lens of the camera. So that in the video game, you were able to have a handheld cinematic. And uh, at, at that point, I was always wondering, like, how do you figure, I, again, from my industrial training, we're watching my animator animate extruders and blow molders. Right. <laughs> like having a sense of what, you know, what you can do in Lightwave to, to see that used in a cool cinematic way when I had only been seeing it. In industrial applications, was just really exciting and fun, yeah. you know. No, and motion capture is super cool. Um, I mean, I always like it because it's always it is always that little bit of like technical aspect. You feel like you're like, oh, this is kind of fun technology. And every time I yeah. do it, there's there's something has changed. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, and we we've been doing. I mean, really, honestly, a lot of the video game direction 
uh, is going into the VR space. Huh. Um, and there's different. There's a variety of different ways that they're recording that. I mean, some of it, it actually, I've seen like rigs just hand, like you know, we've recorded in the studio, and all they're doing is like a kind of like a camera crane over your head and they, on your face, and they put the dots on, and and that's all they're doing. You're not even in this, like not doing the full motion capture, just facial capture. You know. Oh wow. So I mean, there's all kinds of like different varieties of things that they're trying, and I mean, yeah, I'm I'm always excited. Like I love. I just worked on my second VR game. Uh, and I mean, it's, I was super stoked about it. Like, I think it's, it's super exciting. Um, yeah, I mean like, you know, I was reading Intel's now creating a video game VR division, you know what I mean? Oh, like, man. so like people are jumping into it and I'm sure like Google and all the big tech giants are already in there. So yeah, yeah I mean, that's definitely a place that from an acting side, it's like, make sure you're going out for those VR gigs. Cause that's going to be a thing where they'll be like, Oh yeah, you're the VR guy, you know? Hmm. Um, so, what, yeah. what skill set is that? Does that require? I mean, is it? Is it the same as, kind of the same as everything? I imagine, or is there what, sort of? I mean, actually, it's more theater. I think, like, mm. if you're doing full motion capture, it's yeah. like it's blocking. Uh, it's knowing how to move your body in the right place. Um, you know, like uh, you know, on camera stuff is it's understanding where the camera is. Really, I think a lot of the time for yeah. the actor, it's like okay, they're close in on my face. I don't have to like really kind of overdo it. Like I'm gonna pick up all these little small things. Yeah knowing how to react to like where the camera is and then of course like we were talking about earlier uh, wait 12 minutes just remember to call back that memory of the thing you did like you know 12 right. minutes ago to make right. sure you do it again um, so yeah there's that sort of element to it uh, but I think with motion capture it is much more theater mm-hmm. um, you know perform like performance art knowing how to move your body around that kind of thing I think that's probably more more to it mm. um, I mean facial capture is kind of I think it's pretty straightforward. It's, it is your natural yeah. face. Don't get Botox, otherwise you're you'll be out of a job. Boy, I can't move my my eyebrows at all. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, man, that's a that's a. I didn't even think about that. But that's absolutely true. You you can't sacrifice movement because you end up sacrificing expression in in every form. Right. Yeah. You know, well beyond what you can do on camera. Yeah. And even even it's got to affect it's got to affect your voice. Sure. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I think it's one of those things too. It's like, you know, get get accustomed to it. I mean, it's the same thing. You know, we were talking about earlier, right before we started, was like combat efforts, right? Yeah. Uh, every actor has to do them. I know you guys don't like them, but this is like part of the deal. Right. And it's like sometimes I get actors who are great actors and they can't jump over a, a fence or something, and I'm like guys like this is so just go at home and practice like practice what it sounds like record yourself and then listen to it and be like does this sound like it's like what i think it's sounding like or am i just uh, mimicking in the wrong way you know what i mean that's surprising to me just because it it seems intuitive like you you can you you know what the what a movement is supposed to sound like right or uh, that that that's something that folks don't have or don't make that make that connection about what they're supposed to do. Yeah. No, I think it's weird though. I think mm. a lot of the time. I mean, I'm guessing, and this is my speculation, that sure. like people say this actor didn't jump, have never like jumped and pulled up themselves up over anything. They don't. They're just kind of mimicking what they think it sounds like as opposed to the physical aspect of it. Mm. So it's like try it and just sort of like you know even with the VR thing, it's like. So you have a script, like walk around, perform it, you know what I mean? Like yeah. do it in an empty space, uh, do it in your living room and just get the sense of like what that feels like. And I think that's, I think practice and failing is always the best way to achieve uh, sort of the end goal. I do it every day in my life, you know what I mean? So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's just part of the deal, you know? I agree that, that like, 
I find the thing that helps me the most in particular with like getting off book with stuff is is at least running it in two separate spaces because the space that you're going to do it in is going to be unfamiliar. Sure. And 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 you need to have you need to build that muscle. Yeah. And I just I just did a play. Uh, we're we're doing um, two more uh, two more productions of it tomorrow night and then the following Thursday. How cool! Where, where is it? It's uh, going to be at the Second City. It's called Life Expectancy. By okay. uh, we did it for Fringe. It's terrific. Oh, cool! It's a great show. And, right. um, a director is a guy named Ron West, who I worked with at Second City back in Detroit and in Cleveland, and he's a marvelous, marvelous Second City main stage alumni director. Oh, cool! And it's a really funny and th- touching show about. Uh, an older couple, older, uh, you know, early 40s couple having a baby. You know what I mean? As opposed to the 28-year-old, sure, sure. you know, whatever. Um, but it's great. But, like, I'm shocked, and I shouldn't be shocked, but, like, memorizing that script over the summer in preparation for the five times we did it at Fringe has so improved my ability to memorize sides for auditions for on-camera stuff. Right. Just getting that practice back yeah. where it's not something that is I learn for tonight and for tomorrow morning and then I can forget it, uh, which is kind of the corporate world where you just you learn your script for a right. corporate show <laughs> and then jettison that Etna copy out as quick as you can. Right. It was a crazy little, you know, <laughs> sketch about about anagrams. Sure. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but I, but, you know, that skill set is so important to keep. Especially, especially if you're accustomed to working with it on a on a on a you know on a stand, uh, when when you make that transition of pulling it off and having to put it into your head, like it can throw people off, and then you get obsessed about trying to get get the words right and not act it. Yeah, yeah, and that can be like a death spiral too. That you know, of course, I've experienced before, and it's not the actor's fault, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've seen it happen where it's like, I'm like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna go past this line. We're gonna, we're gonna skip this page. We're gonna come back here later <laughs> when you've when we've calmed down a little bit. We'll do something else for a while. Yeah, so I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, how do, how do you how do you uh, from your perspective settle situations like that? I mean, doing like what you said, like leaving that moment alone and coming back to it later. And yeah, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, and sometimes. You know, when I read a script, I'll kind of digest it a little bit and be like, okay. And unfortunately, and I'm sure you've experienced this, uh, the game scripts, they tend to be in non-chronological order. In fact, yeah. they might even be 100% backwards. So, like, the beginning of the story is actually at the end of the script. And then, like, it's broken up. It's all shuffled and whatnot. So what I try and do is, t- like, typically is kind of sort through that and be like, all right, let's 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 try and build some sort of a natural arc into this experience. So, yeah. like, we're not doing the most, ex- like, Emotionally, we're not doing the end, you know, the Comstock at the very end kind of stuff. First, right. you want to build into it, right? Right. You want to find out who this guy is. So, so I'll try and typically do that, and then you know, if we run into some sort of weird maelstrom, I I'll just sort. Of, I already have an idea blueprint. I'm like, okay, we can go back to this stuff. It's like minor chatter, that kind of thing. We'll try and like come back at it. You know what I mean? So yeah, I mean, and it is. I imagine from your guys' perspective, it's really hard because you're getting thrown a lot of things at it. We're doing rapid fire, and sure. it's like hard to keep it, you know, in the right in the right spot. You know, so I'm like, I'm fully cognizant of that, and always attempting to try and make it easier and everyone comfortable enough that we can kind of get through it. You know, I have to say, I mean, the sessions that we've done to get together, I really appreciate that about you, and that you're, you know, not only how you order what our running order is for a specific session. You know, I mean, I do video game voiceover. I get that I'm going to leave that there's going to be vocally stressful stuff. You always are aware of 
how we're doing. You always take breaks. You 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 rarely ask for three. It's always two, especially in the big stuff. Right. You know because like you say, like you know what what difference is it going to make on a three if I can't get the rest of my workload? Exactly. If you've been burned out, yeah. but also like that's not what we're trying to accomplish here is destroy you. We're just trying to get the stuff. Sure. You know, yeah, and you know, like anything else, it's like um, you know, you you pick and choose what is the most important thing. And you know, sometimes people get bogged down with this one line. It's like I don't like you, and it's like, ah, they're not saying it right. Like a client might be like, it's just not right, and I'm like, I don't really like you know, if, especially if it's not it's just kind of like a minor sort of thing. I'm like, yeah. I don't know if spending any more time on this is worth it. Like, let's mm. focus. It's always about like. Not triaging because that seems like something's wrong to begin with, but the, right. the, the idea of like focusing on the important stuff yeah. as opposed to trying to get bogged down in every single thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's my job is to help interpret that and attempt to make sure that working with the actor we get the right spots. And you know, if something's not a, a little smooth on certain places, you know, that's okay too. You know what I mean? Like that's the other thing to remember is like we record 500 lines for a character. Mm-hmm. If one line seems like a little strange or whatever. Maybe it just adds to the character. Maybe it's like yeah. it's okay to be a little bit outside of the bounds. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's funny too. It's like we spent all this time and we're like, oh, you know, I'm like, Kiff, uh, the line was great, but like you had a mouth click in there. So we'll go do it again. Uh, and then we do it again and we get it clean. And then it goes into the game. And then I play the game and I'm like, I'm trying to always trying to figure out what, what did I do? What, what should, can I improve upon? Yeah. And the, the line is so buried in underneath the conversation, like everyone else is like, <laughs> Even if there was a mouth click, I couldn't hear it. And it's more natural sometimes if it was like a mouth click, you know. So yeah. we always like are trying to. We spend all this time trying to get this pristine thing, but then it's like, well, in the end, they muddy it all up anyways because they want right. to make it sound more natural. When it sounds 100% clean, it sounds weird. Yeah, you know, room and space and like objects, like they distort your voice. So yeah, it's not. We're not recording a a, a spot for Audi. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's it is it's a I, my Detroit Pistons when they made their uh, playoff run in 2004. That Rip Hamilton would always say, "If it ain't rough, it ain't right." Right. And I, I love that notion, and I try to bring that to a lot of, in particular, to character auditions because I feel like that's where, you know, that's where y- you can that's where the truth lies. Right. You know, when the characters working stuff out and trying to think about stuff, then there's going to be pauses and unnatural stuff and you're I, sometimes I feel like especially if it's like you know like you say 500 lines and we're going through an excel spreadsheet of knocking out lines that you fall into that trap of all right we're going to say this line very quick like you know you become yeah. aware of the timeline versus the the life of the character and it's right. a, it's a discipline that you have to you know discover and Yeah no and I think that separates a lot of the time like the good actors from the bad actors is that like you know, uh, and to be fair, most of the actors I work like I would say well over eighty five percent of the actors I work with are extremely talented people, and i'm I'm really glad to work with them. But you know, sometimes you have those other people that aren't as great. They may have an interesting vocal quality, but for some reason they're reading when it's they're reading it, it sounds like they're reading it. You know what I mean? Hmm. It's like, and I think like what you're describing, this sort of like, pauses and imperfections in the thing and maybe sometimes also throwing away some of the punctuation because most of this punctu- most of these games 
whoever's writing them tends to put way too much punctuation in. Hmm. Um, it's kind of like from a writing standpoint, you know, we've always been told when you're writing, when you're screenwriting, never write the parentheticals. Like disappointed, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because then your actor will inevitably will read it. Like, right. Uh, and, and and they'll <laughs> never have another opportunity. Exactly. Or the actor will read disappointed. I got. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, I mean, I think that's another sort of thing to sort of you know add to if you're trying to get in there like find that sort of niche like hmm. makes them see the lines seem more alive and less written hmm. i think when they sound written uh the ga- the average gamer can pick that out in an instant you know what i mean they can hear it and be like mm, nope that's not right so is there is there a style that you find in in particular in games that if it, if where it's too cinematic or too thrown away, do do things need to be you know that sort of that, like, uh, I want, the image in my head is David Duchovny in the X Files, right? Where it's just I'm barely moving my lips and just talking here. Listen, Scully, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like where it still has to be a little like like promo, for example, is a little bit more pronounced and just a little bit more where you're coming out and 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 finding that that sort of just the correct genre of vocal performance yeah you know uh do you feel that in particular games um but but from you know from your experience outside of that too like uh what is the nature of the type of performance that it should be or is is there can it be more throwaway and is there room for it or does it need to be elevated a little bit more yeah, I mean, this is a tough question. This is a tough, it's tough for me to answer this because part of it has to do with scene context, the huh. way the scene is being assembled, which is a, a thing that unfortunately I have no control over. Like, mm. this is the one thing that, you know, I, I personally, like, I wish I had more, not control, but more input on. Like, just like I said in the beginning, before, like, the tech, we get the text, and then at the end, you know, the implementation of it. Because in my head, I may see things a certain way. We may do three or four takes on something, right? One of them is kind of thrown away, and one of them is like real on top of it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And maybe I'm like, I look at the scene. I'm like, ah, oh, the on top of it is like where I need to be. You need to be. I need to feel, um, and the character needs to feel sort of intimidated by you or threatened. You know what I mean? But then when they put it together and they're doing like the actual blocking of the scene in the game, they do it a certain way and I'm like, oh, you know what would really be dark is if he throws it away more. Mm. That's something I can't control. And that unfortunately is up to someone else at the game company. Um, My uh, fingers crossed, like I hope one day to have that sort of input on either sides of the production of it. Um, Because then I can feel like, you know what, like, even if I didn't make the right decision, this wasn't the right keeper, we did get something else, and that's going to work there perfectly. Hmm. You know, and I can totally understand why. Yeah. So, that, yeah, I mean, it's hard. Um, I think, like, again, like, if you're doing two takes on something, uh, you know, make them different. Uh, and, you know, we might say, hey, you know what, give me one more like that previous one, but just up the tempo a little bit or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that way, I mean, that's the, that's the other thing. At the end of the day, it's like if you have the time... Let's let's go for scope. Let's try a bunch of different huh. things. Like you know, there's a there's probably a spectrum. Uh, we get you the characters in a spectrum, and like let's give me a couple different versions of it. And you know, maybe maybe just like having a couple different options can give us ideas onto how to keep moving forward. You know? Yeah. So. Oh, that's great, man. What's what's a project that that you worked on that doesn't that you're really freaking proud of? And you wish had got more attention slash love. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, 
Well, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, all right, here's what I would say. All right. <laughs> the first game I ever directed was a game called The World Gone Sour, uh-huh. and it was a game for Sour Patch Kids. And, uh, what? Yeah. They did the, like a digit, like an online, like website no. It was like a, it was a side scroller action game, and it was I don't know, maybe it was on mobile. I don't even know. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it was. You ever watched the old, the American version of The Office? Yeah. Uh, you know Reed. Uh, he's the the old guy in The Office. Oh yeah yeah he's yeah. He's the old grumbly guy. Yeah yeah yeah. So the game was entirely voiced by him. So it was just <laughs> me and him. And at the end, there was a rap. And he like rapped about Sour Patch Kids, and it was like one of the f- one of the best sessions I've ever had. It was my first session. Uh-huh. I think we did it in 2011, and the game went nowhere. And and whatever, who cares? It's like about Sour Patch Kids. It's like so stupid. Um, <laughs> but I had a lot of fun in that session. That was I remember that being super fun, and just to work with him. He's like a super interesting guy. He was in like this big band in the 70s. And yeah. Like, so yeah, he's just like an interesting character, uh, and so it was just like it was a good time. Um, but yeah, I, I, no one has ever said, oh, I've heard of the world gone sour um so so yeah that's so awesome um i I think those are the ones uh, those crazy little things often are the ones you learn the most about yourself mm -hmm. and too in terms of what you know i don't know i i i love the i love the crazy little things that will never be seen or the things that end up with like you know eight views on YouTube. Sure. Oh, man, that's too bad. Yeah. That thing was awesome. Or I got some, you know, it was an ace I could keep in that experience, you know? Yeah, I mean, you want to talk about YouTube, it's like, uh, Mm. I I am, it's complete, I have no idea how to socially market anything. Uh, I think it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, and that's something you need to learn how to do, which I'm like, I'm still like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Um, and uh, some people are really good at it. I, I don't quite know how to crack that code. You but, mean uh, in terms of yourself or things? Uh, that just you've in general. Yeah, no, both. Yeah. Uh, I think it's really interesting. Like some people are really good at social marketing. Yeah. They know how to like tie into things. And they know the hashtags and whatnot. And I'm like, I don't like. I have no idea. So, so that's a learning process that I'm <laughs> attempting to go through now, and I am going through right now. So yeah, it's Man, pretty. Uh, I'm I'm right there with you. I'm I'm trying real hard, but then I feel like I'm trying real hard. <laughs> exactly. And 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 I don't. Trust, and then you're like everyone knows I'm trying hard. I look ridiculous. Look how stupid! Oh man, I, what a ridiculous post! Why did I hashtag that? I started downloading like there's this. I, I did a I did a small um, co-star role on the Thundermans a couple weeks ago on Nickelodeon. Oh, cool! It was a blast. But I was sitting in my trailer on Paramount lot, like nerding out because I was back on the Paramount lot for, right. for the job. And uh, it was was on stage. The Thunderman shoots on stage twenty five, incidentally, which is where Cheers was shot. So to be oh, cool. able to be on that set, and I was out of here twenty some odd years ago for college, and saw like a taping on that set. Oh, so that's awesome! To be able to make a strong Kramer esque <laughs> entrance and be like, ah, oh, right. Um, but anyway, I was I was messing around with this program called Sing It, I think, where you where it's like a karaoke track. And then you sing it, and it videotapes you. Videotapes. Listen to my language. It's so freaking antiquated. And it captures you singing it. Right. And then shares it with a bunch of, you know, 10-year-olds. And a bunch of 10-year-olds liked it. And then you're like, awesome, but... 
But now that's out there. <laughs> me, me singing Elton John. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, unfortunately, Terminator Three won't won't be released anytime <laughs> soon. I, I'm pretty sure I have VHS. And if somebody really wanted to like bend me over a little bit, they'd be like, "I'm gonna release Terminator Three. Did, did you do any like visual effects in it, or what did you do? Uh, you do it? Yeah, my uh, my 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 arm when my skin was gone was a uh, aluminum foil wrapped around yeah. my arm. Uh, there was some ketchup blood and stuff like that, uh, which was hilarious because, like, there was a combat scene. We we, we we did a couple scenes. Well, the first scene we just made up. It was, like, a, a scientist working on the Terminator, and the Terminator wakes up and kills the scientist. Okay. <laughs> then we did the scene where he, which is actually from Terminator 1, where he goes into the gun store and gets the gun from the guy. Remember? Yeah. And he's like, give me your bullets or whatever. Yeah. So we did that, but... We had it was more of like an extended combat struggle, and it was in someone's driveway outside of their garage, and like there was a skateboard involved or whatever. And it ended up like we filmed him. He got hit and fell down, but he didn't have enough blood on him, so he's like crawling across the the uh, thing to try and rub, crawling across the driveway to try and rub blood on his arm. So like you know, yeah, it was pretty rudimentary. Oh, but man. but you know what's cool is like. In the age of uh, CGI, it's become, it's become so easy to kind of do everything. Yeah. Um, a year ago, uh, a couple friends of mine, and we're all like, m- half of us, I think, are in entertainment. The other half are just do whatever, do whatever their their normal jobs are. They have normal jobs like normal people. Um, <laughs> right. And uh, anyways, we were like, we're gonna go. We stayed up at Kernville. I don't know if you've ever been up there. Uh-huh. It's like kind of up. You go up to Bakersfield, and then you drive into the mountains at the base of the Sierra Nevadas. Okay. Really kind of cool little town, little mountain town. It's a river. And we were, and I just had this idea where I was like, let's just like go up and shoot. We're up there for a weekend. I was like, let's shoot a horror movie. Yeah. Just like a, a really crappy horror movie. And I just, no one's an actor. So I was like, you know what? Let's just, I'll write little like character bits on a note card, like two bullet points. And that's it. Like, that's all we need to do. And then I had like a loose script where it was like, all right, this scene, these two people argue about who loves this person more. So and we just went up and did it. And the big reason I did this, though, which was kind of like, it was funny because we would do that anyways. I bought like a fire extinguisher and what ran the tubing so you could do the blood splurt thing. You know, you fill yeah. it up with blood and you pressurize it. It's like a real old school effect. And uh, it was totally awesome. And I remember it. I was like, because at the time, I think I'd been doing a lot of video games, not a lot of, you know, on-camera stuff. And yeah. I was just kind of like, I miss it. And like that always like brought me back. I was like, yeah, that's super fun when like, get to shoot the blood and like you know just really get into it get all dirty that's the best man that's so awesome I, it's the thing like my my daughter's trying to do a play right now like organize a play and trying to get her friends to do it and they won't and she's like I don't know what to do because and I grew up with four younger brothers so I could kind of conscript them to do whatever movie you're gonna do this you're right gonna now. do this we're gonna do it and it'll be awesome we're all gonna dress like commandos and then we're gonna shoot some some, we, we have no understanding of what post-traumatic stress disorder is. We're going to make a movie about it. Right, exactly. Let's, we'll underscore it with the doors and Sinead O'Connor. <laughs> and, and it'll be awesome. And uh, and it was, yeah. you know? And it was that whole thing of, like, I just want to tell stories and have fun with my friends doing it. And that's what it seems like it, it is and can be. Yeah. And, um, you know, and it's one of the things that just gives me joy of being in this business that the closer – you know, from that perspective, from from being in Grand Rapids, looking at it as a kid, being like, "Oh, it's impossible. It's so far away." Yeah. Like, no, it's not. Here it is, and here we are doing it, figuring it out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like on the Paramount lot when we were doing Thundermans, I ran into a friend of mine, one of my former students, who's now like writing on a show. Oh, and awesome. It was great. And and she was like, come on, let's go get coffee. And we jumped in their golf cart and drove <laughs> around, and it suddenly changed from being Paramount Pictures to campus right 
And it was such a, a revelation and, and it just it kind of like at the same time gave me confidence and then also just took away all the veneer of it of like it's just we're just a bunch of folks trying to tell stories. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And I think I think it's important to like not forget that. I mean, yeah. we are all struggling in our own little way to like sort of do what we want to do. Yeah. And uh, and it's like don't I, I think I try and remind myself this. I'm like, just remember, at the end of the day, you should try and do something that has no commercial value at all. You can just do, if you can get a bunch of people together and shoot like a stupid little scene, just do it and be like, screw it, we ha- we're having fun. Like, yeah. I think that like a lot of people lose that, hmm. uh, especially from the cre- from the creative side, for sure. Because we all get like, you know those, those days where you're just like, you didn't get the audition, or I uh, didn't get the job, and I'm just like, ah, burned out. Uh. Yeah. But uh, but remembering why you did this in the first place, like that, that's always important for me. Oh, so. Man. Well, listen, this this has been such a delight to have you in studio and on the show and be able to talk about process and experience and stuff. Uh, what what do you have uh, coming out that you can that you can mention oh, yeah. and talk about or give a shout out? So, uh, so going back to the writing thing, yeah. I have my first book coming out oh wow in a month uh, fantastic yeah so it's called uh, God Farm uh-huh. and that's like P-H-A-R-M like the pharmaceutical uh-huh. uh, so yeah it's a it's a techno thriller it's a novel uh, kind of fast paced it's kind of a kind of like I liked Michael Crichton so I tried kind of tried to do that but I tried to like I don't know if you ever read Michael Crichton his character yeah. dialogue is like kind of atrocious sometimes Yeah. so I tried to be better with the dialogue but you know it's my first book so you know I'm <laughs> my own self-critical nature. I'm like, I think right. it's, I think it's a good book. I don't <laughs> think it's great. I think it's good. But, anyways, like the story is is kind of cool. It's basically about. It's based in real science. Um, it's about this biochemist who creates a drug that genetically changes your belief in God. Oh wow! And uh, when he does that. Um, yeah, it turns out that like big pharmaceutical companies and the government have already tr- are already simultaneously creating something like this, and it's they're using it as a weapon. So now they're chasing after him, and he's got to try and figure out what's what's going on. So yeah, it's kind of a good old fashioned techno thriller. Fantastic. Uh, so yeah, it's coming out on September fifteenth. Um, it'll be on Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble, and I think digitally it'll be Kindle, Nook, and iBook. Awesome. So, yeah. Fantastic. And how can people find you on social media and stuff? So, yeah. Uh, to help you bolster your social media experience. Social media experience at C. Bennett Smith, just all one word, two N's, two T's, and Bennett. And um, yeah, if you look up uh, godfarm.com, you can find the book's website, and they have links to the, all of our uh, social media stuff there. So Fantastic. Yeah. Dude, thank you again so much for coming in. It's just been great being able to talk and hang out, it's man. It's been awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. And thank you for listening, and we'll catch you soon on another episode of Oliver VoiceOver. Peace. for joining us on All Over VoiceOver with Kip VH. Please take a moment to review the show and let other folks know what you thought. And if you dug it, please subscribe. Follow the show on Twitter at AllOverVO and check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash AllOverVO with Kip VH. That's it for this time. You get what you get and don't get upset. Claim victory and depart the field.